This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes out to Ray Henderson, who in 1964 became the keyboardist for The Doors until Jim Morrison died in 1970. In any case, thanks for Lover Madly, and this one goes out to you. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, it's the double dose of the revised webhead, while manga fans who wondered how to get their books now that Borders closed have a few less things to worry about. Flashpoint's kicking off. Flash Gordon's main competition in the house. Flashing a camera is a bad idea unless you're a lady between 18 and 50 and you want to send photos to podcast it. You know what? Never mind. That's problematic. Anyway, the three-man band is back together. Mother, Maiden, and Crone. Smarts, heart, and guts. Beauty, brains, and brawn. The comic book power trio here to even your flow. To speak in class today. To burn your wicked garden to the ground. Exit light. Enter night. Won't you come and wash away the rain? Because the man in the box says, I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. Don't speak. You've been caught stealing. But whatever tomorrow brings, I'll be there with open arms. Living my semi-charmed kind of life. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Welcome to the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad that you could join us this week. Lots of Spider-Man this week for those of you who say, you guys never talk about Marvel. Well, now we're going to be talking about Marvel. For those of you who said that six years ago, ha ha! (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man, Spider-Man. I don't think people can complain. If we did Avengers Forever, which is the marveliest book that ever did Marvel... I don't think people can really complain about us not doing enough Marvel. Yes. And, you know, with four books a month, it seems like The Avengers really does go on forever. Yep. Let's take a look at some news. A couple of items this week. Uh, Gordon Levitt will not be playing Falcone in the upcoming Dark Knight Returns movie. Disney pulling more books from Boom Studios. And Tokyo Pop shutting down its U.S. division. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny and see... Where things land. <laughs> Gonna give you a hint. This uh, episode is all about Spider-Man, so the DC talk is probably going to be at a minimum. <laughs> oh, number three, Tokyo Pop <laughs> shutting DC down talk. its U.S. division. Uh, for better oh. or for worse, Tokyo Pop announced that uh, it's shutting down its U.S. operations effective May 31st, 2010. Um, Tokyo Pop, everyone knows, or a lot of people know, as their outlet for manga. Uh, Tokyo Pop was founded about 15 years ago by uh, Stu Levy, and um, they're shutting down. There you yep. go. Tokyo Pop. <laughs> no, more. no, you know, they're See, actually going to continue its film and television projects, and its European uh, operations will continue. Just U.S. must be flat on manga, Rodrigo. Mm-hmm. Matthew, what are your thoughts on this? Honestly, I feel like part of me, and it's a mean-spirited, hateful part of me, goes, ha ha, but I know I shouldn't, because I know that this could really happen. This could probably happen. It's it's unlikely, but it could happen to any title, any publication, any company that we like could, in fact, this could happen at any given time. Marvel nearly went under in 1994, but I look at this as... Yeah, and then I think about at the comic shop, 
When I started working there in 1999, everything was all about the manga, the Tokyo Pop, the Pokemon, the Dragon Ball Z, and the I'm going to read these comics and they're all going to be awesome. And there's something called Bobo 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 Bird is the word. But it started to taper off around 2004. And it really tapered off to the point where right now I honestly can't tell you. I don't think there are any Tokyo Pop books on the regular monthly hold list. And I think that the stuff that we're ordering is kind of few and far between because the market has either started getting their stuff somewhere else or the American market has moved on to something else that they think is awesomer. Vampires. Could be. There are not enough vampires in manga. There are plenty. There are plenty There's, okay, of let me manga rephrase vampires. There, there, are, there are not enough sparkly vampires in manga. I'm pretty sure most of the <laughs> oh, okay, vampires let me rephrase in manga that. There are, are the not Twilight enough kind. gay sparkly vampires in manga. I'm also pretty sure they're, okay, they're, they're mostly okay, you know pretty what it is? boy. There are not enough half-naked girls in manga. Um, No. Okay, now you're, I know you're full of crap. I, I was going to say, no, <laughs> you're right. There aren't about. enough half-naked <laughs> girls in manga. <laughs> They're all naked girls. Rodrigo, any thoughts on this? Uh, you're probably the biggest manga reader here, right? Uh, probably in that I've ever read a manga. <laughs> <laughs> um. Hey, hey, I read Crying Free Man once in college. Nice. On dare. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, it... I, I'm a I'm a little surprised. I always I always figured it was successful, but I guess that that's kind of the the weird benchmark of it is that I thought it was successful, but I certainly wasn't reading anything by Tokyo Pop. So you know, mm-hmm. I guess a lot of other people also weren't. Yeah, uh, somebody on, in the forums was like, "Oh, Stephen, this is all your fault. You say that they didn't do enough to promote themselves, but you never." Went around and talked about them. Well, you're right. They never sent me anything. They never sent any press releases. Anything. Anytime we tried to contact them, they never sent anything. Mm-hmm. Not even press releases. Heck, we had to get the news that they were closing from somebody else. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. There's a lot of people who don't think or who think that uh, Tokyo Pop really wasn't that great in their translation department. Right. And some of their stuff may have been a little shoddy compared to other people. But I, I, I don't know if I if I. Believe that because how do you know unless you read and understand uh, the original language? How can you say whether mm-hmm. the translation is good or bad? Well, um, well we're we're fanboys. We can hate anything for any reason. Well, well, well that and if you if you read something that doesn't make sense, well, that's true too. Then you can at least tell that there's some translation right. issue. I, there. I think there's a and I had or who made the comment? Who made the comment here? Yeah, Stanley. Stanley, yes, Stanley Dalton. Um, No, I had made the comment half-ass crack about, oh, it's because of the piracy of comics is the reason why they're shutting down. Everybody blames the pirates, Uh, but then people were like, oh, you're a little harsh. I don't think it's piracy at all. I mean, I remember when I was reading this fan translated version of the book. The no wonder Tokyo Pop is awful. The the fan translations that I have read are much much different. Well, how are you reading fan translations of? Of yes. manga. Yes. Fan translations <laughs> are, in fact, a form of piracy. Yes, exactly. And right. They are indeed piracy. <laughs> and the, the most fascinating part of this is, as you know, as I said, people are getting their stuff through other channels. I don't think people are actually waiting for Tokyo Pop to put out an official version of, you know, Full Metal Panic or whatever. I honestly think that bilingual people are pirating and translating and people are getting it from, you know, 
from some sort of magical mystery intar website and reading the book months ahead of when the the official translations come out. Well, the bottom line is just because Tokyo Pop is closing its doors doesn't mean you still can't get your manga. Dark Horse does manga. Uh, Who else does manga? Oni Press does a somewhat Uh, kind of manga. The entire statement of the country of Japan. Let's say Japan. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So you can get your manga from Japan. And there are other... There are other guys that do translations. Yeah, I'm sure. Right. And some of the things that, you know, I I didn't realize until I started looking into this is the stuff that they're translating isn't all manga. Some of it is actually Korean and German and other stuff. And Mm -hmm. some of the stuff they put out is actually original stuff, American stuff in that uh, that anime, that manga style. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a question to me of maybe... Maybe the fan base is getting it somewhere else. Maybe the fan base isn't there. Maybe we water the concepts down to the oh, point where... no. I mean, if Marvel and DC can sustain themselves with 25 Batman and Wolverine books a month, then nothing can be watered down. Not even manga. Really? Well, <laughs> that's your argument? Of course. No, really, honestly, Matthew, I, I think you're right. There's probably been this... We've reached a saturation point. My view of the people that read manga are 10 to probably 18-year-olds is probably the biggest target for a lot of Mm -hmm. the mainstream manga Mm -hmm. that we know about, mainly because they see it on the uh, Nickelodeon and on the... the, the, They uh, see it on the Toonami! (laughs) They see it on the Toonami, which isn't around anymore, Um, which should have been a an indicator but you know that's the kind see, of age the range that uh, that appears to to see it and so maybe they've just grown up and moved on and because you don't have tsunami and because you don't have a cartoon network running a lot of that stuff well you, i guess you, you can do. yeah you do so you're 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 not attracting as big a fan base as you once were mm-hmm. so maybe that's well, it well and there's I know there's is, a natural go ahead. there's a natural sort of uh, i don't know if i'd call it it's not even really a challenging sort of thing. There is a a problem that I have seen in the store between people who read comics and people who identify themselves as people who read manga. There There is an antagonism there, and I'm not sure why, because the manga people are like, Naruto is really cool, it's all grown up, and you and your stupid Spider-Man... And the comics fans are like, well, you're, you're 12, and you have baggy pants and a skateboard, so get out of my store. That's probably me talking, but not the point. You know, I think that I, I don't know if it has anything to do with the, the marketplace where the books were being sold, whether the people actually started looking for these other theoretical channels that I haven't actually proven that they're actually looking for. So anyway, all right. how about them Huskers? The end of Tokyo Pop. You can comment about it over at Majorspoilers.com. And you can check out a lot of other things over at Majorspoilers.com, including a lot of promotional material coming out about the new upcoming X-Men First Class uh, movie. We've got some images from this weekend's Doctor Who premiere. Who's excited? I am. I'm lots super of, psyched because uh, two words, Amy Pond. Uh, lots of toy news <laughs> up on the site, some reviews, of course, and many, many other things that you can find if you poke around enough. Stick around when we come back. We're going to be talking about some uh, reviews, some listener mail, and of course, we will be getting to Spider-Man in just a little bit. How to get a major spoilers shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout-out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, 
click on the Make a Donation button. 3. Donate $10 or more to the cause. 4. Sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. I want to thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone who's contributed to the Major Spoilers podcast, including Ray Henderson, who donated this week. He wrote in and said, I'm in my late 30s and just got back into comics over the last four or five years. I love the show, and I want to thank you guys for helping me discover a lot of the things on my pull list. Really great comics, like Proof, that I wouldn't have otherwise found, so thanks. Also, I played AD&D 1E back in the 80s, and listening to Critical Hit got me back into D&D as well, so thanks again. On a side note, Matthew made a Farscape reference a couple of shows ago, and it got me thinking. I did. Uh, we're talking about many, many episodes ago. I'd love to hear you guys okay. do a show about 90s-era sci-fi like Farscape and Babylon 5, two of my all-time favorite shows, and about the comics connected to those shows as well. Thanks for all you do, and keep it up. Ray Henderson. Thank you, Ray. We will consider it. Wait, I, I know something about Farscape? No, you probably just made some crack about a puppet or something. <laughs> Honestly, I, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm racking my brain trying to think, you know, my uh, the girl that I was in love with in college, uh, who eventually married my uh, ex-roommate, uh, had a thing about Farscape. And I, I don't know if I've actually ever watched a full episode, but I picked up tons about osmosis. So it might be worth, you know, putting that on our million and a half list of things to do for a show. Ray was a, a one-time donor. He dropped money into the uh, donation till, but we've had people... Last couple of weeks, we've had a recurring donation going on. Recurring donation works like this. It's so simple. You say, hey, I love major spoilers so much that I want to donate $2, $5, or $10 a month and have it just automatically deducted out of my account. I can afford $2. I mean, come on, a comic book. This comic book I'm holding right now, Rodrigo, $3.99 is the cover price. And that I'm done with this comic book in like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. The major spoilers experience goes on and on and on and on and on and on. It's real funny. Somebody on the Twitter the other day um, did the math and said, hey, I just donated $10 recurring to the major spoilers cause. And I I ran the numbers. It's not 66 cents a day, Matthew. It's seven cents a day. Oh, like I know anything about math. There you go. I'm a so, liberal arts major. We have I'm had a lot of we've had a are. lot of people kicking into that recurring donation. We're hoping to have 100 percent of all of the listeners of Critical Hit and Major Spoilers come in with a recurring uh, donation, including Mark, the Wood Whisperer. He says, "Hey, Stephen, I just signed up for the five dollar recurring donation. It's the least I can do for all the entertainment and info you guys provide me. But I do have a question for you, and I bet you guys discussed it in the past. Can't find it in the archives." I love reading comics, and I try to get as many digitally, but of course, I still have a sizable pull list, and the comics are stacking up. When I was a kid, I used to bag and board everything and cherish every moment of the process. As a 33-year-old kid, however, I would really rather see those back issues go to more productive use. So I'm curious if you guys have suggestions for where one might donate old comics uh, or old comic libraries, children's hospitals, Goodwill, etc., I'm not just looking to throw them away, and I'd really love to see them go where they would truly be appreciated and enjoyed. Love to hear your collective thoughts on the subject. Thank you, guys. Keep up the great work. You are one of my few must-listen podcasts. Thank you, Mark. Mark, I think it's Spagnola, I think. Uh, Thewoodwhisperer.com. He's got a podcast in the Frog Pants Network. Um, well, libraries, children's hospitals, Goodwill are all good places to donate. Mm-hmm. Uh, children's hospitals, mm-hmm. especially if you have age-appropriate material for kids in long-term uh 
care mm-hmm. uh, would be really, really wonderful. Libraries, they may or may not take. Um, certainly recycling is a good way to uh, <laughs> to put some of these comics to good use. Rodrigo, you got some ideas, some thoughts? Um, not a lot of... Not a lot of libraries will take single issues. Yeah, definitely. that's the problem. They'll take trades. Yeah, and hardbound books. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, you you kind of want to spread the joy and take it to to the chillins, but sometimes <laughs> the best thing you can do with your comics is, you know, go on the internet and find out which one of them are, are worth something and set those aside, and then take your box back to your local nerd emporium or comic book shop and say, hey. Give me five bucks for this. And for the entire long box, they may just give you five bucks. Mm-hmm. Matthew, what's the what's the policy of bringing in comics to the store? Do you buy anything and everything? Oh, not at all. In fact, most of the time when guys come in with a long box, uh, Dion will say, look, here's what I actually want out of this box. I am willing to give you X for this. And if you want me to take the whole box, I'll give you another five bucks. But... I would say probably I wouldn't necessarily go to the comic shop. Something that I might look into, you look at like Goodwill, you look at like used bookstores, places where you could just donate them. Just say, hey, here's a box of comics and I am now done with them. Yeah. Also, I know that we locally we have a, a it's I don't want to tell you the name of it, but it's a place where they sell books at half price. Oh. And yeah, you just bring in a box. Issues. And I know that I've gotten some single know? issue stuff from them. Yeah, and, you know, they don't necessarily give you a lot, but they'll put them back out. And they're 50 cents a pop when you buy them back. So kids mm-hmm. can actually walk in. And I've seen, you know, little punks going in there to buy their Naruto or whatever it is. But <laughs> I would say that if you have a Goodwill, if you have a children's hospital, I would at least check into it. Let them know you're going to have to do the legwork on pulling out, you know, your old man Logans and anything inappropriate. And in fact, I would make sure to do that legwork very, very stringently mm-hmm. before you would donate to, you know, a, a, something along those lines. But the Goodwill is a really good one because I know that people go into Goodwill and just kind of wander around and find stuff. And I think mm-hmm. that's a good way for, you know, people who just happen to be wandering around, kids who might be in there while mom buys a table or something, sure, might be able to get exposed to books relatively cheaply. Or if you want to do some legwork, you could look at your local university, find out which dorm has the highest GPA, and then drop the comic books off there. And watch that GPA plummet. <laughs> I, I was going to say it's a social experiment. No, no, no. That's exactly. where all the nerds live. Oh. Uh, uh, you know, you could do that. You could certainly drop it off at a dorm and just say free comics and those things would be gone within five minutes, I'm sure. If, uh, but if you're looking yeah, to uh, if you're looking to uh, to make some money, meh, you're not going to. <laughs> I, you know what? You know what, Mark? I'd be curious because the Wood Whisperer. I don't know if you guys have been over to the WoodWhisperer.com. He's got, and, and I don't know if you guys are into woodworking, but I know a lot of people who are into woodworking. Mm. And Mark has got some fantastic tutorials on just doing, you know, simple things like going back to the craft of actually going in and working with wood in your hands and building fantastic products. I wonder, Mark, if you couldn't figure out a way to bond those comics into like a plywood type thing mm. and build something out of cut up comic books. That'd be kind of interesting to see. And if you can, see. I will send you three long boxes and I want you to build me a shelf. <laughs> He's going to send you back three long boxes and some cinder blocks. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks, right. Stephen. So, Mark, hopefully that uh, answered your question. It gives you some ideas. And once again, thank you for being a recurring donor to the Major Spoilers cause. Yay. If you want to donate, all you have to do, head over to Majorspoilers.com. There are some buttons on the right side. We do appreciate everything you do. All right. With all of that out of the way, let's get to some reviews. I got that song stuck in my head now. Matthew, let's start with you. Flash number 10. Flash number 10. So recently, I have been filled with sarcasm and rage more so than usual about my monthly comic purchases. Um, and I'm aware of this, and I want you to know, uh, faithful Spoiler Rights listeners, and of course my co-hosts, I am trying really hard not to be that snarky guy who's like, worst issue ever. I don't want to be the guy who says, I liked it the first time when I read it in 1967. I don't want to be that guy. But Flash number 10 came out in recent uh, recent days, and... I found my inner comic book guy wanting to leap out and buy a cupcake. And I almost put on jean shorts and thank God I didn't because I mean, you would have been blinded by my legs, but flash number 10 from DC comics leading into flashpoint featuring the secret of hot pursuit. (laughs) And it's, I got a question. Why do yes, you keep sir. subjecting yourself to this? I mean, just I, I think it was like your, a, don't give no 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 don't give me your I don't read crap comics anymore speech because I want the book to be good. The Flash is a title that I have historically enjoyed off and on. I would agree with you, but this revamp has been problematic from the beginning. Last issue, it was revealed that Hot Pursuit is, in fact, Barry Allen. No way. I think it was, was it during, was it during Final Crisis or Infinite Crisis when somehow it was discovered that Earth is the keystone to everything in the universe and it's the center of all, and everything in the world revolves around Earth and all the Owens came from Earth? Was that, that was Blackest Night. No, that was uh, Final Crisis. Oh, okay. Well, this issue of Flash reveals that the mainstream DC Earth, if anything happens there, it will destroy all of the other right. Earths of the 52 multiverse. Right, that's the... Uh, so they call not only are Earth humans Earth the Prime. most important creatures in the universe, not only is the Earth the most important planet in the universe, this universe's Earth is the most important planet in all the universes, and Barry Allen is the most important planet person on any of those planets in any of all of those universes. Flash number 10. I swear to Jeff God, if, if Jeff Johns could make out with Barry Allen, I think we would all be in a better place. Is, is this surprising but, at all? Yeah, a little bit. Because Johns has done some really good stuff. His Teen Titans revamp was amazing. His work on, um, I can't remember what it was now. That other thing was good. I even liked the Green Lantern revamp for a while. It's just that I think there's a point where once we've established things, once we've established that these things exist, then we spend an awful lot of time in that tr- that hero worship place. That Barry Allen sure is the bestest Flash who ever did Flasher, and that's what this whole issue is. Hot Pursuit and the Flash, who are both Barry Allen, are talking about something bad that's going to happen. Kid Flash shows up. 
There's a lot of talky-talky. There's a couple of running sequences where they run. We discovered that Barry Allen created and houses the Speed Force, and Hot Pursuit can take him down by channeling the Speed Force and draining it right out of him, and Barry's uncomfortable around Kid Flash, who is his grandson. So that's a lot of stuff to pack into half an issue. Then we get some things that actually work for me. We see a little bit of Barry Allen at a crime scene, out of costume, not being so very, very, very Barry. And I like him, and I like what they're doing here, but it's it, it kind of clashes with that first half of that issue where everything was like, <gasps> the universe is on your shoulders, Barry Allen. I gave Flash six issues. And issue six impressed me. And issue seven was a uh, okay. And I think I think issue seven was that reverse flash issue. No, eight was a reverse flash issue. Was amazing. The reverse flash issue was incredible, and they brought me back on board. And I'm like, okay, well, I can give them six issues based on the strengths of this. But each success successive issue from there has just been downhill. This book is, you know, on the front, it's a prelude to Flashpoint. It's literally a conversation about Flashpoint. It's two Barry Allens talking to each other about Flashpoint and what's about to happen. We get about this much Kid Flash characterization. We get some interesting Barry stuff that's completely unrelated to the whole conversation. I'm frustrated. I don't like what's what's going on in the book. So I'm going to go with one and a half slices of meatloaf. And I'm going to say that by issue 12, if I'm really not grabbed by Flash, I'm not coming back to Flash. Hmm. Well, by issue 12, it'll be the last issue of The Flash. Because right. it'll be into but Flash I mean, point. It's a perfect jumping off point. <laughs> All right, we'll see. You almost had me going back on board whenever you gave up... Uh, was it issue six or eight or whatever it was that you were just like going gaga over? And I was like, well, maybe that, I need to read that it. reverse flash issue was incredible. It was amazing. But now nine. And, and you know, this summer, so you're not going to be able to read a DC comic without hearing about Flashpoint. Well, you're not going to be able to read so your I, regular DC comics in, in this summer anyway, because they're all going to be canceled and replaced with these alternate universe dimension world Flashpoint yeah. issues. Yeah. The which age I'm, of Flash. Which I'm excited about. I kind of am too, to be honest. I'm because I'm gonna jump into DC for these like limited series, and then as soon as it's over, I'm gonna jump back out. Yep, that'll be great. You'll be like, just like flash in. Yep, flash out. Exactly. All right. Last flash week. in, flash out. Last week, uh, an amazing, gigantic thing happened over in Marvel that everyone was talking about. Did? Yeah. Yeah, Brian remember? Bendis ate the five-pound burrito, and it turned out it was free. <laughs> Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Miller killed Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man. <gasps> yeah, I know. It's part of this, uh, we're going to kill a, a, a character every every quarter. Mm-hmm. So it's Spider-Man's turn. Last time it was the... Uh, Black uh, Goliath. Yeah, it was uh, Firestorm's turn, or whatever his name is. The Johnny human Storm. Torch. The Human Torch. Human Torch. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. They're the same thing. Firestorm, so Firestar, Firestone, whatever. Here's the thing. In order to really appreciate or to come to an understanding of how Peter Parker is shot in the back, uh, you just can't read Ultimate Comics Spider-Man number 157 by itself. You actually have to read Ultimate Avengers versus New Ultimates number three. The same wait, wait, thing wait, wait. happens. Stop right there. I'm out. Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, you don't have to. 
But if you want to know why Punisher is up on top of a bridge and you want to know yeah. why he pulled the trigger, uh, you kind of do need to read Ultimate Adventures versus New Ultimates. Now, I'm, I'm like I will say Kramer. this. I will say this. A lot of this, it's a lot of the same information in both books, just told from a different perspective. But uh, I read Ultimate Adventures versus New Ultimates number three first and totally just ruined Ultimate Comics Spider-Man 157 for me. So I don't know what's going on in Ultimate Adventures versus New Ultimates because, quite frankly, I've got the <laughs> other two does. issues and I just hadn't gotten around to reading it. So I don't know why... There's one group of people after Nick Fury, and the other pe- group of people are trying to defend Nick Fury. But it seems like you have one group of superheroes in the Marvel Universe. Uh, polar opposites. Dramatically opposed. Mm-hmm. Opposite of another group of superheroes in the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. And because they're at odds, they're bashing at each other, and they're fighting at each other, and they're trying to do these things to one another. Right. Now, where have we heard this story before? Um, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure it got thrown away when Planet Hulk happened. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, World War Hulk. World War Hulk, yeah. I, I'm t- I think this is what happened in Civil War, right? I mean, wasn't it Tony Stark and Steve Rogers were just at total odds with one another over a registration yeah. act, mm-hmm. and they're fighting at each other, and you've got one group of heroes fighting another group of heroes until one kid dies, an innocent bystander dies, and suddenly all hell breaks loose. Well, instead of an innocent bystander, it's Peter Parker. You know, Spider-Man gets shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this whole buildup in um, Ultimate Adventures versus New Ultimates is, are these heroes fighting against one another, trying to get at Nick Fury or protect Nick Fury. And Spider-Man's just swinging by and going, oh my gosh, the Punisher's going to shoot Captain America. I got to s- swing in and save him. Kapow. And Spider-Man gets shot in the back. Now, you do need to do then do a rewind to Ultimate Comics Spider-Man 157, where we kind of pick up with, um, what is it, the Secret Six? What's the Spider-Man? Sinister Six. Sinister Six. They've busted out of the Triskelion a while ago and uh, are on the lam. But thankfully, all these heroes are fighting, so they can kind of do what they want. Mm-hmm. And, of course, um, Norman Osborn wants to goblin out. And go crazy and kill Spider-Man. Well, everyone else is like, hey, uh, calm down there, man. Let's not uh, get your radioactive uh, juices going because they're going to track us. And then uh, Doc Ock steps in and says, maybe we need to think about this. And Norman just goes, we pow and kills Doc Ock. Nice. And then proceeds to pow it out with Spider-Man, who then starts swinging across the city and sees Captain America about to be shot jumps in to save him and gets shot in the back. That's how both issues end. You almost, and I was kind of, after I read both of these, I was like, well, you can see where the parallels are happening in each story. Uh, Bleeding Cool went through and they said, here is a way that you can read both issues so that they work. Um, Ultimates page 1 through 14, followed by Spider-Man 1 through 18. Ultimate pages 15 and 19, Spider-Man page 19, Ultimates page 20, Spider-Man page 20 and 21, and then Ultimates 21 through 23. And the story would make sense then. The thing is, I kind of wish they would have just made it into one giant book where the two crossed over. Mm -hmm. You know, just one volume, just buy it instead of two separate books, because I think you'd get a better read out of it. Um, Ultimate Adventures versus New Ultimates, uh, penciled by uh, Lionel Yu, I thought were really good. I thought in Ultimate Comics... His trains are awesome. Yes. 
Uh, Mark Bagley is back in Ultimate Spider-Man, and so his art is awesome there. So the art is awesome. I think the pacing was good in both stories. I think the story being told in both stories, just the Ultimate Avengers versus New Ultimates felt vaguely familiar. And again, I'd never read Civil War, but the basic premise Mm -hmm. is there. Um, Ultimate Comics Spider-Man was just kind of a one character going out of control and killing another villain. And then Spider-Man getting shot in the back, and we really don't have a context for why. I mean, it's not as impactful if you read it in the pages of Ultimate Comics Spider-Man as opposed to reading it in the other book. Uh, Still, though, it was at the end, when I got to the end of Ultimate Avengers and New Ultimates, I was like, wow, that's really good. Hmm. All in all, I say that the experience is, for both books, is a four. Four slices of meatloaf out of that. On the other hand, there are some problems uh, in that Ultimatum was probably the worst thing that Marvel could have ever done mm-hmm. with the Ultimate Universe because it's been, what, just a couple of weeks, months, maybe a year after Ultimatum has occurred in this uh, universe, and yet all the skyscrapers in New York are standing pretty and shiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, no, I'm sorry, that's not right. The bridges are built back. Everything's perfect. No, I'm sorry. So we're going to be talking about Ultimate Spider-Man later on, and we're going to see the creation of Spider-Man. But now you're getting to hear the end of Spider-Man. Mm. Or is it? So check them out. Not. Four out of five, four out of five uh, slices of meatloaf there. Ah, Rodrigo. Hello. How are you? I'm, I'm doing okay. You read some comic books this week? No. What? No, I didn't. I didn't have Certainly you've partaken in some pop culture goodness. I have s- sort of. Was it even this week? I think it is. Um, <laughs> All it, your days it, bleed it came into out, one. They really do. But um, I did get a chance to play a game that just recently came out for Xbox Live Arcade called Might and Magic Clash of Heroes. Oh. Now, if you're familiar with the Might and Magic series... That's too bad, because for a while, <laughs> the, the current Might and Magic has had really nothing to do with the old Might and Magic, which might be a good or a bad thing, depending on whether you like the old stuff, but, um, you know, the rights were bought out by um, uh, actually, uh, Ubisoft, um, and just like the rights to the name and, and the, the current, any current uh, Might and Magic games have really nothing, oh, with nothing the old to do stuff. with the old oh, stuff. It, it really is just a brand recognition thing. Um, uh, Might and Magic Clash of Heroes is a game about a bunch of young heroes who live in a fantasy land, um, and all of a sudden some demons show up and murderize their parents, and they have to go around their kingdoms and prevent this, uh, murderous plot from taking place. Um, it's kind of hilariously fantasy vanilla, Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. like, because there's, like, is it five countries? No, four countries. One of them is... Yes. One of them is jungle. Yeah. (laughs) Sort of. And and, and here's the best part about it is one of them is run or, or, or like, and in the game is, like, one of them is inhabited by necromancers. Okay. One of them is inhabited by wizards. Mm-hmm. One of them is inhabited by knights. Mm-hmm. And the other one is inhabited by elves, mm. which is weird 
because that's like saying one of them's inhabited by accountants, <laughs> one of them's inhabited by lawyers, right. one of them's inhabited by doctors, mm-hmm. and the other one's inhabited by Peruvians. <laughs> it's like this is elf old school where elf was actually yeah, a class. Elf, elf is a class yeah, for yeah, some yeah. reason. Um, it's like, oh, you're an elf. Yeah, what do you do? Elf. elf. I, I elf. I elf around yeah. all day long, I'm an man. Elfer. Let's great, go elfing, everybody. It's a, it's a great job. Um, it's it's like smurfing, only different. There's there's a few other things that are kind of hilarious about it because this is a game. Um, it's basically you kind of do this like Tetris puzzle thing to attack your enemies. Oh, really? Which is fun. I uh-huh. mean, it's it's a fun little mechanic. Um, you basically have to make stacks of your units, and then the stacks <laughs> go forth and attack. <laughs> Right. Okay. Um, I don't like it if you have to stack your unit. It's uncomfortable. Yep. Um, and you you have a lot of units, but uh, it's hilarious <laughs> oh, because in you. the game they explain it as you actually having these units with you. Mm-hmm. But the plot of the game revolves around you know these these young heroes kind of sneaking around town and and going behind the backs of the organizations that they used to belong to right. that have now turned on them. But you know your your elven uh, commander th- that is the first character that you get is sneaking around, and she has like three hundred rangers with her. Mm. Like she has a platoon of like by the end she has a platoon of like rangers, bears, fairies, giant treants, a-, a couple like dragons, a bunch of unicorns, and some. Like magic deer following her around. Cool, and she's it's still a good sneaking thing they're around. sneaking Stealthy. around San Francisco. E- e- yeah, exactly. Um, so it's it's kind of weirdly dissonant in that sense. But if you know, this game has a lot of stuff that is very video gamey. Um, so you just try not to think about it as you're playing, and, and, yeah, and yeah. you're fine. Um, that said, the game is is pretty charming, and and for a game that costs all of like fifteen bucks. Mm-hmm. Is actually pretty good. I mean, I'm 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 all for it. I uh, do you play it all the way through? No, I haven't. I've only finished the first arc of it, so it might it might just turn to crap or get boring later. But as far as I've seen so far, you know, it holds up. Um, the the only issue that I can see is when you finish an arc, you go and you essentially get a new commander with new units mm. and basically start back at level one and I then see. go through and, and get those units together. So, you know, if, if it doesn't really necessarily give you a huge feeling of accomplishment. Right. But we'll see how it goes from here. Um, I'll give it three and a half slices of meatloaf, definitely. Um, it is certainly... Because of the way it works, you kind of move around and you see that there's a fight coming up. You prepare, you go over, and you have a fight. Right. Um, so it's a good... Uh, if you don't have a lot of time, it's a good game to play mm-hmm. because you can just do a single fight and then stop. Right. You don't, you don't have to... Nothing forces you to continue the story, and you can always press start and save. And there is a storyline. There, there, there is out. a storyline. Okay. Um, and the graphics are good, or are they a throwback to the old eight bit? No, the graphics are the graphics are good. They're fun. They're very cartoony. Um, you know, they're just they just kind of do the fire emblem thing where you have a character on one side and a character on the other side, like a, a like a, a, a hand drawn character, mm-hmm. um, not a sprite, on one side, and they're not moving. They're just kind of doing oh, an expression, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you have text that tells you what they're doing yeah yeah. but but sometimes like some of the expressions of the characters are really funny Mm -hmm. and i don't know necessarily that intentionally so because 
you meet an elf early on, like you play a girl elf and you meet a boy elf early on. And he, anytime he's surprised by anything, he just looks so <laughs> idiotically shocked. Yeah. Like I just crack up every time it happens and sometimes they're being serious and that happens right but you know i mean it's it's a cartoony little game so all the expressions are really uh kind of overdone it's also funny because you get three different colors of units Mm -hmm. um and when you play the soldiers it's like if you have yellow colored soldiers like or like golden armored guys those guys are redheads Mm -hmm. but like or like the white soldiers are redheads and the blue soldiers have dark hair and stuff Mm -hmm. it's like apparently this uh this knightly order is is very kind of um <laughs> likes to separate yes, separate like, everyone into small groups yes, of like that, uh colors yes that's they're very right. they're very like, into proper use of accessories exactly. you have red hair you must join the golden battalion exactly ginger unit attack <laughs> um they're they must it be walkers yep so yes, that is uh that is my review of Might and Magic Clash of Heroes. If you have the twelve hundred points to spend, it might be a good time waster for you. Xbox Live. Woo! There you go. All right, everybody, you can head over to Major Spoilers and read more reviews over at that site. We're done with the reviews. It can only mean one thing. It's time. For the millions in attendance and the 15 different versions of Spider-Man that will certainly come out of his inevitable death, it's time. For the 1970s era smackdown in space, 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 ancient astronauts on one side and a guy who I think his hair is made of naga hide on the other, but it's a battle. The major spoilers poll of the week, 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 week. This week we're going way, 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 way back or to a time. Well, yeah, I guess depending. Going back to the 1970s, to the 1970s era of television where you had quite a selection of shows to watch. You could watch NBC. Quite a selection of ripoffs. You could watch ABC. You could watch NBC or the ever popular PBS. Mm-hmm. Such a selection to you choose. You watch from. NBC twice, but not CBS. Right. Well, I mean, uh, come on. I mean, uh, come on. Steven was from Eastern Kansas. Yes. Actually, we could have two NBC stations. I forget which ones they were. Steven was a hip young guy, and CBS was starting to get its Actually, we had as two PBS. People, uh, we had two PBS channels that we could go to. Nice. One out of Kansas City and one out of Topeka. Topeka. Channel 11 or Channel 19? Topeka. Both were running two different series of Doctor Who at the same time. Whoa. It was pretty awesome. The golden era. And then if you uh, tuned in at the right time, you could catch some Monty Python boobies. Wow. Yeah. But in the 1970s, there was this little thing called Star Wars. Such a huge success that everybody's figured out, how can we cash in on this? I know. Rip it off! Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers in the 25th century were born. Lord and Green as Adama. Hey. Gil Gerard. In their defense, as... Battlestar Galactica did the, the dark-haired guy as the cool protagonist and the blonde guy as the weird space pirate. So it's completely <laughs> different from Star Wars. And, of course, then we had Gil Gerard in uh, Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Mm. Suspended in time. 500 years into the future. And the best part was at the end where they poured salt 
down onto the to the lens of the camera and they did it in slow-mo so it looked like there was like sparks and uh stars bouncing off the screen yeah i was actually pretty disappointed that you used the season two open for buck rogers because the season one open was voiced by william conrad with yeah that was the the only one that i could find on youtube it really was kind of hard because even this one that we have up on the site you have to actually go to youtube to watch because they Mm -hmm. turned off the embed so yeah I think that one's voiced by Lyle Wagner, who is definitely a step down from the fat man. So here we have two shows, Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. We asked listeners and viewers to the Major Spoilers site, which (laughs) 70s sci-fi television show was better? Rodrigo, go. I'm going to go get a soda. You guys guys talk it out. It was really funny because Rodrigo uh, has never seen Buck Rogers before. Can you believe that? I can. Rodrigo's young, and there's no reason why he would have. Yeah, but Twiggy? Beedy, 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 beedy. No, Twiggy beedy. was a, a model from the 60s. You're thinking of No, she, she also talked like that, too, in case you didn't know it. Matthew, what was your favorite one? Well, in the year 1987, NASA launched the last of America's deep space probes. Aboard his starship, a lone astronaut, Captain William Buck Rogers, was to experience cosmic forces beyond all comprehension. So I You picked Battlestar Galactica? How come? I did. When I was a kid, my cousin Travis and I, on Saturday mornings, would watch Channel 41. Different cousin than Cousin Elwood, by the way. And... Battlestar Galactica. Well, I hope so. Because if your name is Travis Elwood, that's pretty bad. <laughs> Actually, Elwood's real name is Donald Eugene, but that's not the point. Um, in <laughs> on Saturday mornings, you could watch Battlestar Galactica, and in the 1970s, you guys may have vaguely heard of a writer named Eric von Daniken. Yeah, who Chariots wrote something called Chariots of the Gods? Question mark. I had read. Being an incredibly nerdy and hateful and really serious jackass of a child, I had read Chariots of the Gods before I watched Battlestar Galactica or Buck Rogers. And I was watching Battlestar Galactica partly because of the awesome things that were in there to give the implication that this was the lost tribe of people, the ancient astronauts who settled the Earth. Because if you look at it, they had those great ships, the Vipers with little triangle wing things. Right. And their helmets looked like the head of the Sphinx. Right. Their their battle helmets and everything had a very sort of an Egyptian old school vibe to it. And it was to me, you know, very clearly a reference to this book that I probably shouldn't have read because again, you know, what was what was a ten year old doing reading Chariots of the Gods anyway? But for me, it's always going to be Battlestar. I actually very lovingly remember the episode where Starbuck crash lands on this weird medieval planet. And he ends up taking a group of children and fighting off a band of Cylons with like these six kids on this planet that's on, you know, Universal's backlot or something. But in order to teach them how to fight the Cylons, he teaches them in song and they're all chanting their little, their little battle ditty. It's really kind of cool. So I remember Battlestar very, very well, and I, you know, that's part of the reason why I couldn't get into the revamp in 2000, whatever. 
Now, the revamp was actually, I was surprisingly good, although I still will admit I've not seen the final two episodes of that, mm-hmm. just because I haven't had the time after after it's been off the air for four or five years. Um, you know, for me, I remember Buck Rogers in the 25th century because it was this future take, this astronaut, everybody wants to be a space shuttle commander, uh, especially in 1987, because when did the first shuttle launch? It was like in oh, 1980 or I'll something, say, so it's like been like... was the 81... Something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, this was even before when this, um, when Buck Rogers was on the air, it was even before the shuttle had officially launched. Um, and so I thought that was very cool. And of course, every kid at that age probably wanted to be an astronaut. Uh, maybe not every, but a lot of them. And of course, then you had Wilma Deering, Aaron Gray, wowza. Oh. And who can forget the, uh, the movie version of Buck Rogers that had the half naked princess queen running around? Ooh, what was her name? Princess. Ardala. And who doesn't love oh. a wise cracking little robot and his serious sidekick that he has to strap onto his chest and walk yeah. around with everywhere? And in season one, that robot was voiced by Mel Blanc, which, you right. know, that right there. Beedy, 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 you got beedy. yourself a crown right there. Hey, Buck, yeah. I was wondering if I could have some cheese. Beedy, beedy, beedy. <laughs> I don't know how he talks. It. And then, of course, years later, as that show progressed, you had a guy who was half. Hawk. Who was named? Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> Season two also had telepathic midgets who undressed Aaron Gray, which I very clearly remember that episode. Now, there's certainly some uh, good campy fun to be had in Buck Rogers in the 25th century, especially those wonderfully painted matte painting sets of uh, toy spaceships flying over the city. So, of course, I went with Battlestar Galactica as well as my favorite sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. There was just something about Battlestar Galactica where you knew you were going to see spaceships fly in every episode. You knew that there was a, a villain that you could boo every week. You knew there had some kick-ass cool robots for the time period, especially the, uh, the clear-domed ones where you could see their brain lights flashing. Um... And then, of course, you had a, a wide cast of characters, uh, including some very attractive ladies. And don't you forget Cassie Daggett. Was, huh? Don't forget Daggett. Yeah, it was a monkey in a metal <laughs> suit. Oh, was okay. it a monkey? I thought they actually had uh, a, a small person in there. No, it was actually a chimpanzee. Oh, boo on you, Battlestar Galactica, boo. But I voted for you anyway. Some of our uh, some of our fine major spoilerites said I voted for Rogers only for the Daffy Duck Duck Dodgers of the twenty fourth and a half century song. Um, In one half century, Larry says I was only a mythical concept when these uh, shows aired, but I did give it to Buck Rogers. Um, Digital T says I chose Battlestar Galactica simply because I've never watched Buck Rogers. Buck Rogers had cool <laughs> ships, says Diagonal, but Battlestar had cool ships and Cylons. Um, Telus says, which 70s sci-fi show was the best? He says Quark. Nice. Um, let's see. Atlantis says, oh, this is a trick question. Everyone knows Doctor Who was better than both of those shows in the 70s. Uh, and let's see. <laughs> Hector Busnut says, Buck Rogers, of course, Aaron Gray in a spandex unitard trumps all. You're a unitard. <laughs> all right. So, Matthew, how has the voting gone so far? I'm sorry. I cracked myself up. At this point in time, 
My Internet Explorer has frozen up. So I'm going to say 1,757 votes in. Last time I checked, 59% or so leaning towards Battlestar Galactica, 41% voting for Buck Rogers. Um, you may want to check and see if those numbers have shifted much. Nah, My connection is timing out to the Internet. Yeah. Yep, so I think it. most people are probably leaning towards, and I, th- I think part of that is because of those, you know, those mythical themes and the fact that Battlestar always felt like something bigger. Right. Plus, unlike Buck Rogers, Battlestar Galactica has had a modern reinterpreting, and I wonder if people might not be voting for that a little bit. Yeah, they might. I mean, there was certainly some bad, cheesy stuff in the original Battlestar too, but especially when you get to Battlestar 1980 or Galactica. Galactica 1980 never happened. <laughs> Matthew and his selective it never canon. No, selective reality. That's Matthew. Oh. All right, everybody, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. And if you're old enough to remember both shows, we'd sure appreciate some your vote. Rodrigo Epstein. Yeah, and if you're not old enough to remember both shows, really do not I, I literally left the room for most of this discussion. <laughs> okay, mm. stick around. When we come back, we will be talking about Ultimate Spider Man Year One. Gentlemen, Jamba from the Delaware, calling because I'm listening to the Saturday show and you guys talking about uh, the video games, kind of going on a little trip about City of Heroes. I can't speak much on that, but as a kind of a honk on um, DCU Online right now, man, I can tell you that they they actually balance everything out quite well. Uh, yeah, there are healers, and sure, you don't see a lot of healers on you know, in the comics, but at the same time, it's kind of integral to the gameplay flow. You can't have a RPG-style game, whether it's an MMORPG or or just a, a straightforward uh, RPG. And this isn't so much Final Fantasy-based as it is just MMORPG. I mean, you need to have somebody who can go into a situation and not only blow stuff up, but protect the rest of your, your, your group or yourself. You know, I have a character on there who's got the most massive, ridiculous, Lyfield-type rifle you can imagine, and uh, he can blow you up from about 50 yards out while holding you in midair with telekinesis, but he can also throw a dome bubble around himself, protect him, set things on fire around him that heal him in the process. So it's not an out-and-out heal as much as it is kind of draining energy that he siphons into himself and help build himself up. You guys really ought to hop on the game, man. It's it, it's it's a ton of fun, and uh, on top of that, I mean, you really do get a chance to uh, kick the crap out of people you just can't stand, like Robin. Um, man, I, I can't tell you how many times I I just go into the funhouse just just to pound on that little jerk. I just uh, yeah, man. It's just it, it's liberating every time. Um, other beauty thing about that game, though, is that you you can be villain and you can be hero, but you can play it any way you go. I mean, I was listening to Matthew talking about Ultimate Alliance, and look, I've been playing those Marvel RPGs since uh, the original X-Men Legends. Ultimate Alliance was all fine and good, but I mean, when it really came down to it, having to pick sides, having to, having to make all these choices, it was way more limited in what it allowed you to do than what DCU allows you to do. I mean... I can totally sucker punch an unsuspecting uh, hero that's, you know, walking around. He's trying to collect, you know, some sort of item so he can finish out a collection. In the meantime, you know, he has no idea. I've been stalking him for about 30 blocks, and 
when he turns around the last second, I'm going to dome him, you know, trap him inside one of my domes and just blow him away with a grenade. It's uh, quite satisfying to know that I ruined that guy's day. Well, I'll let you guys uh, make up your own mind because I, I, I assume that one of you guys is going to at least sit down for a little bit and try to check it out. Uh, good show, though, by the way, guys. Keep it up. Later. Hey, Major Spoilers. Uh, my name is Andrew. I was just calling uh, regarding the podcast where you guys talked about superhero MMO RPGs. Uh, I am actually currently playing the new DC Universe Online, and I would happen to agree with a lot of the points you made in that it just doesn't seem to fit exactly what it needs to be. Uh, a lot of things that, that happen to draw my attention in, in terms of, well, why is this happening? Happen to be what what caused Rodrigo to just be completely weirded out by City of Heroes, and that's the healer. You don't have healers in DC, Marvel, Boom. You don't have any of these these types of characters in any of these comics. So why would you need those in these games? Uh, you guys were right when you said that they're completely fighting their engine in that they can't, it, they cannot follow the same uh, path as what they had been before, or as, as what like, games like D&D or World of Warcraft or Rift are doing, because it's not the same type of game. Uh, my, my question that I have for you, and this is kind of coming off of what Matthew was saying about playing Ultimate Alliance, is how do you think an MMO where you played as a team, a, a few heroes, not necessarily a tank, a healer, and a damage dealer, but heroes that played off of each other and were able to, you know, when one went down, another one came in and maybe helped out for a little bit while that one was back resting. You know, it's just a thought. It's just an idea. How, how do you think that would play out in the gaming world? Uh, that's it. Sorry for the very choppy message. Uh, I didn't really have all my thoughts together, but there it is anyway. Uh, thanks. Keep up the good work. Bye. Hey, Mitch Spoilers. This is Spider Lover from the forums, and I just wanted to make a comment on the trade paperback for the week, which is uh, Spider-Man from um, Ultimate Comics, I guess. Yeah, Ultimate Spider-Man from Ultimate Comics, whatever you want to call it. Um, I thought this was a really good retelling of the story, and uh, obviously they made some changes, which really fit with uh, the times, um, Peter's attitude when he got his powers, and how he um, transformed, in, in literally and figuratively, in his personality, and how he was toward his uncle, and then the ultimate change, of course. Um, it was really, really... Uh, great story um, and really kicked off uh, Ultimate Comics unfortunately now they're kind of not good but nevertheless this particular trade paperback is good and anyone that's a Spider-Man fan really should uh, check it out alright thanks guys bye okay, Larry King here I'd like to talk about Marvel Comics Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 1, which is the first 13 issues by Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley. Now, the thing about this comic book, it introduced, well, me to Spider-Man's beginning. Now, the only problem about that is I knew 
begin with, from the Spider-Man, the anime series cartoon from Fox in the 90s, and, and a couple of comic books from back in the day, including even the Maximum Carnage stuff, and I knew general knowledge about Spider-Man, but I knew what I liked. And this comic did offer good good premises, good ideas, good character designs, say for Mary Jane and Peter and even Aunt May, because Aunt May didn't look like she was on death's door anymore, and had scroll face, that prune lip thing, and like real old people and corpses have, like Aunt May and the regular Marvel Universe has, Grandma May. But then you introduced the baby kaiju Green Goblin with his ability to shoot fire from his hands, and it... That really lost me. I mean, that's like the pinnacle, I guess it's the, the, the middle part of the book, of the, this collection. It lost me. And it really never got me back. I just, there's certain things about the Ultimate line that I really could care less about. Electro. I liked Electro. Green Goblin? I hated it. So, a little bit more realistic and I've been okay. But, uh, 100-something issues down the road, 150 issues later, it's just... Seems so tired. I, you know, go ahead and put the ultimate line out of its misery. <laughs> After I think Jeff Loeb already did that himself, but uh, go ahead and pull the plug. But uh, that's just one. This one fan's opinion. Make mine major spoilers. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone, for calling in this week. We do enjoy playing your comments on the air, and if you have a comment or a question or a thought or an idea, we would sure love to hear them, and we'd love to play them on the show. And all we need you to do is call the Major Spoilers hotline. That number, Matthew, is... 785-727-1939. The Major Spoilers Spectacular Amazing Friendly Neighborhood Hotline. This week, we promised we would be talking about Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate Comics Collection Volume 1, which actually collects the first year of Ultimate Spider-Man, issues 1 through 13, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Mark Bagley, and... um. Boy, what it is is basically a retelling of Spider-Man in a new way, in a new universe, tweaking some things here and there to draw in a new audience. I mean, that's what the whole idea behind the Ultimate Comics line was, was what are we up to? 500 issues of Spider-Man and nobody mm -hmm. wants to read Spider-Man because he's old and not young and the kids don't understand and relate to an old guy anymore. <laughs> but we can't just reboot him because that would cause all sorts of problems. So let's create a whole new universe. And let's kick it off with Ultimate Spider-Man and see how it works. And they got Brian Michael Bendis and, you know, if you want to know, this is a retelling of Spider-Man's origin. Yep. He goes to the uh <coughs> science he goes to the science lab with his class. He gets bit by a spider. He transforms from nerdy geek to uber cool superhero stud. Uh his uncle Ben gets killed. Um he meets all a cast of uh, bad guys, including the Kingpin and Norman Osborn as, what is he, Goblin here? The Green Goblin. The Green Goblin. Uh, he gets to meet Electro. Uh, who else does he meet as a villain in here? The Shocker. Oh, the Shocker, okay. The Kingpin. The Kingpin. All of these appear in these first 13 issues, and we get to see a kid oh, and, go from... And you see... I, I, you see Dr. Octopus get... Oh, yeah, uh, you do. You get to see Doc Ock before he... Yeah, we get to see his origin. There's even a... Uh, and I laugh because I was reading this again for the show. Uh, even Patsy Walker makes a, uh, yeah. a quick surprise appearance mm -hmm. in there. And so I was getting a chuckle and out of that. Crusher Hogan. So all of these characters are here, but they're tweaked <clears throat> and they're refined. And some of the stories and relationships are expanded in 
uh, this uh, this 13-issue arc, this major arc of, of Spider-Man. And the first, what is it, five or six issues, Matthew? I think this is where we, get, yeah. we get to meet dweeby Peter Parker, constantly being picked mm-hmm. on by Flash, Thompson, and Kong, uh, constantly mm-hmm. being had food thrown at I me, mean, just whatever bullies do to nerds, Peter is the is the recipient of that. He's the receiving yep. end of all of the abuse that the jocks of the school uh, throw out. Yep. But on the other hand, and this is something that, Matthew, we were talking uh, before the show about uh, Amazing <coughs> Fantasy 15 and how mm-hmm. we get the entire origin of, of Spider-Man in 19 pages. Yeah, basically. It, I want to say that virtually everything in this 13-issue story spins out of and pretty much in you know in that original continuity took place in amazing fantasy number 15 including the death of uh, uncle ben the death of uncle ben uh the you know, the moment where he's fighting crusher hogan the four and a half you know well actually i i i don't want to say everything because the green goblin was not a part of spider-man's origin right the uh, gob the goblin wasn't there the bits with the kingpin weren't there so right but, Mary but the Jane thing that, wasn't there. Yeah, that's true. The thing that's amazing or what's really fascinating is that here we get to see, I guess from my experience, a whole different Uncle Ben, right? Because by the time readers are really introduced to Uncle Ben, he's dead <laughs> in an Amazing <laughs> Fantasy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here we get to well, see... Well, and he's also an old Archie Bunker kind of guy in Amazing Fantasy, and here he's kind of a hippie. You know, a, a, an ex-hippie. Yeah. He and Aunt May are both kind Child of hippie. 60s. Although, how would you how would you describe Aunt May in this book, uh, Rodrigo? Um, definitely closet lesbian. <laughs> she no. is creepy as fuzzuli, man. She's a bit. Uh, go oh, ahead, go ahead, Matthew. Oh, go ahead. Or or Rodrigo, An either one. Enormous eyes and a tiny head, and she's like she's like Catherine Hepburn rebuilt by Satan. I think I think that uh, is it. Mark Bagley does mm-hmm. the art. I mm-hmm. think that you know, although his art is very good and very dynamic, he kind of suffers from that whole not really knowing how to do old people thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So an older character like Aunt May just looks like his young characters with more lines on her face, right. and that does a little off putting. That, that is a little off putting. Uh, May um, Aunt May just comes off as kind of a bitch most of the time. Yeah, she's really overbearing. Um, but, uh, you know, throughout, I think you get the sense that she just wants what's best for Peter and she's right. not, she's not like a controlling mom right. so much as just a tough love kind of mother hen, I think is mm-hmm. what, what they mm-hmm. end up going with. And then, uh, uncle Ben is like you said, Matthew, just this old hippie dude that's just like, Hey, yeah. Peter, man, what are you and Mary Jane doing? Huh? <laughs> hey, how's the I, school I, Every time going? he talks, I hear I hear Eugene Levy as Mitch in a Mighty Wind. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. was having a very dark period of my life, and that's exactly what he looks and in my mind sounds like. Is you know, just that that former hippie who's now you know he's taken in his dead son's child. He doesn't know what to do, but you know, uh, all throughout whatever happens, you see Uncle Ben going, "Peter, you can do this." Right, right. Peter, you're a good boy. <laughs> Even, you know, and it's really weird, too, because in that relationship with Peter and his aunt and uncle is on one panel, they're screaming at him. This is not how you act. This is not what good kids do. And then the very next panel, 
oh, it's just, he's going through these changes, May. Just lay off the kid. Mm. You know, it's just like, whoa. I mean, some really almost bipolar uh, turning on and off the uh the the emotions and the attitude from panel to panel. Well, you know, you have to you have to put forth a uh, unified front. I, I, yeah, 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 yeah. You do. Yeah. It's, it's good parenting. About that. which, that's probably why you don't recognize it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, that is one of the things that I really that that works. It's one of the things I, I'm not going to use the word like, mm-hmm. but it's one of the things that I appreciate about this series is the <laughs> Ben May relationship mm-hmm. and the fleshing out of that Ben May dynamic. With Peter, yeah, especially in you know the first three issues, that works, and that's something that's very strong and very well constructed. And I, I just really, really like, uh, you know, you build up this relationship for what is it like three or four issues? Maybe it's three issues, hmm. uh, and then uh, Uncle Ben gets killed, which makes the death even more important, more impactful, more, yeah. uh, you know meaningful to peter in in deciding what he wants to do Uh, there's other characters in here too i mean um we get to see harry and norman osborne harry doesn't have a lot of play in this in this first 13 issues i mean he's kind of there and we kind of see that he's troubled we kind of see that his dad doesn't give him any attention um but he's also just kind of there as a conduit to get peter in the class to oscorp Mm -hmm. yeah and then we have Norman Osborne. Yeah, and a more perfect two-dimensional serial Republican serial villain you will never find <laughs> this side of an actual Republican <laughs> Republic serial. Um, and Norman Osborne is basically pure evil in an expensive suit. He's drawn as pure evil. Bagley is is pretty brilliant in the fact that Norman's face is always filled with utter menace. He looks right. monstrous before he becomes a monster. Mm-hmm. So they got that going for him, which is nice. Well, and I and I also like, and and maybe Rodrigo can comment on this too. I like that. Osborne knows from the beginning. It's not like, what? A kid was bitten by one of my spiders and is now Spider-Man? He knows from the moment mm-hmm. that Peter gets bitten by that spider that I got to watch this kid because there's something going on and I'm going to pull all the strings possible to make sure that I keep tabs on this kid throughout yep. to the point where he knows what Peter's powers are and then decides to inject himself with the uh the Oscorp serum or the double O serum Oz yeah uh inject himself with Oz uh which leads to a catastrophic catastrophe goblin time <laughs> uh, epic apocalyptic proportions yeah goblin time um thoughts on on Osborne as really one of the three well two heavies that we see in this in this uh first series well i think you know with with Ultimate Spider-Man, that is something that I like. I like the fact that they were like, well, Ultimate Spider-Man in general, and I think the Ultimate Universe in general was the the original thought behind it, or one of the thoughts behind it was, what if we took all those stories, but we wrote them with that hindsight, which that you know, it's like if we could tie all these stories together, what mm-hmm. kind of story could we tell? If we could. You know, take all of these little, not necessarily loose ends, but, you know, where this story just begins out here and just weave it into the story, what do we get? Right. So, 
Osborn is really kind of the catalyst for most of what happens to Spider-Man, at least from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that. That said, I really hate what they did with the Green Goblin. Why is that? Um, I think that... Well, first of all, tell us what they did and why that was bad. Well, what they did is the Green Goblin turns into this big, beefy man, mm-hmm. right? Uh, with horns mm-hmm. and red glowing eyes and, like, fangly, uh, fangly mouth. Right. And he creates, like, fireballs mm-hmm. that he shoots at mm-hmm. people. Um, his head is green, but the rest of his body isn't. There's kind of right, a gradient right. that kind of goes down. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I can see maybe the reason why they did it, because they thought, they were looking at it and it was like, oh, there's no way we can do the old Green Goblin, because, mm-hmm. like, a guy in a Halloween costume that throws pumpkins on people, that's stupid. You know what's not stupid? Yeah, yeah. The Hulk with fire powers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in fact, they, you know, at, at one point, exactly what it is. when uh, the Green Goblin attacks um, Midtown High or whatever school that Peter mm-hmm. goes to, a lot of the kids are thinking, oh, my God, it's the Hulk that's attacking us. Um, yeah, they say that. Yeah, because at, at, I guess at this point in the yeah, Ultimate Marvel that Universe, is, they have those characters have developed. That That is funny, though, because then they go back and retcon that. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. Hulk comes in later. Yeah, in, then in the they Marvel go back universe. and give us the origin of the Hulk a year later. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and they did that. And that... And that's one of the problems with with Ultimate Comics in general is that as soon as because Ultimate Spider Man hit pretty hard, like people right. people got on board oh, really yeah, 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 really really well, and they were like, "Oh, we got to start doing that Ultimate Spider Man team up." And they interview they introduced the Fantastic Four in it. Mm-hmm. I think the Black Widow. Mm-hmm. They introduced a bunch of characters, which then they went back and completely one hundred percent retcon. I would have to go in and and. Um I really need to go back and look at the timeline of the Ultimate Universe because it's really weird. You know, here they're saying, hey, it's the Hulk. Um, uh, you know, and then at, at one point, Peter's flying around after he's become Spider-Man and swinging around. He's like, I don't know how Captain America does this. And it's like, oh, really? Has, has Captain America been introduced at, at this point right. in the greater Marvel Universe? Because I always thought, Matthew, maybe correct me if I'm wrong. I always thought Ultimate Spider-Man was the catalyst for the Ultimate Universe. Or was it Ultimate X-Men? Or it was. was it? Okay. No, Ultimate Spider-Man number one was the first Ultimate title. And because it hit so big, there became, there was an Ultimate Universe. Okay. All right. Right. Um, now, by comparison, if you look at Ultimate X-Men, whereas I think Ultimate, I think Ultimate Spider-Man did it right. And, and we, sh- we probably eventually should get into the discussion of, you know, was the whole Ultimate thing even right. worth it? Right. But if it was, Ultimate Spider-Man, I think, did it right. Mm-hmm. You know, because they went back and said, let's take all the things that are important about Spider-Man and Spider-Man's story and Spi- uh, Spider-Man's villain's story. Right. And tie it all together into this cohesive thing. Right. You know, going in and saying, okay, everything will be related. Mm-hmm. You know, here's kind of a how things usually work in this universe. That's a good thing. That's something that I kind of wish more comic books did. Mm-hmm. If you look at Ultimate X-Men... It became more of an exercise of like, well, what if this guy was a gay mobster? And what if this girl had a tattoo? Right, right, right. You know? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you there. Um, so Osborn injects himself with Oz <laughs> and turns into the Green Goblin. And there's some fighty fighty and some da, 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 da. bashy da, da, bashy. Da, da, da. And Green Goblin da, da. Fall, falls off the, what, Brooklyn Bridge? 
and falls off the edge of the world. Yeah. And apparently just disappears forever. Now, Peter, meanwhile, uh, Uncle Ben is dead. They have no money. Mm-hmm. He's feeling guilty. He wants to track down the killer. He's in the guise of Spider-Man now. And he knows that they need money um, to live. And he finds out that the newspaper is buying pictures of Spider-Man. And he goes in trying to sell pictures of Spider-Man. And we get to meet J. Jonah Jameson. Mm-hmm. And Robbie and uh, who else? Betty. Um, Betty. Betty Brandt. And who's the reporter? Ben, Phil Urick. Yeah, Urick. Um, Phil Urick. I, I really like J. Jonah Jameson, how he's portrayed here. Because mm-hmm. on the one hand, he's not the screaming, over-the-top, you know, crazy man. Right. He's actually got a point to himself. I mean, Parker gets there and, and Jameson buys the photos cheaper than what Peter thought he was going to get. But then at the same time, Betty is like... I don't understand this web thing. I'm not doing this website anymore. And mm-hmm. Peter's like, oh, well, there seems to be a recursive loop in your scripting language there. And all you have to do is cut this off here. <laughs> Kid, you're hired. Um, but Jameson, and then later on, when it becomes apparent that the Kingpin is a target of, of Peter's um, rage or vengeance or duty to do something right, he comes out and asks Jameson. He's like, why... Why, if you guys have all this information, why, if everyone knows that the Kingpin is a bad guy, why don't people do something about it? And instead of Jameson just saying, shut up, Parker, you don't know what you're talking about, Brad, where's my, you know, he actually stops and gives a realistic, thought out answer, which I thought was really Mm -hmm. nice. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, it's not like Jameson is, is over the top all the time. He can tone it down and he does have some real thought going into the way he runs his world. And I like that. I like mm-hmm. that characterization. Although later he would go over the top, but then return to being a thoughtful guy later on. But I just like his introduction here. Matthew. Mm-hmm. I, I, this is probably as good a place as any to get into this. Okay. I, I do not have not and, and really cannot Accept the existence of the ultimate Marvel universe for two reasons. One, <laughs> okay, but it, issue one, actually the first few issues were co-written by Bill Jameis. Right. And when Bill Jameis was running Marvel, everything was self-promotion. Everything was money. Mm-hmm. And these, every, every single one of these issues, no matter how much I like the dialogue, no matter how brilliant Mark Bagley is, is a retelling of another story with one and, and only one gain, and that is pure mercenary exploitation of the Spider-Man character. Sure. We are going to make him awesomer. We are going to take everything about him and make him awesomer. And what Rodrigo likes is exactly what I dislike. Taking all of these, this vast tableau of characters and bringing them together to where Spider-Man, the Green Goblin, Dr. Octopus, the Hobgoblin, and that's a story for another time, Venom, and about five other characters all come from exactly the same accident, the same place. It all stems back to Oscorp. Bothers me. And we are looking at years and years of work by other artists being literally chewed up and regurgitated here. And the only difference between these stories is they're awesomer. If you look at that Crusher Hogan sequence that takes mm-hmm. up about... 
Yeah, about a half. Uh, an issue. I think all of issue, all of issue three, and part of issue four, and that whole big schmageggy, that is two or three pages worth of story fleshed out, and fleshed out is probably not the right term, stretched out with page after page of Bendis dialogue, and the upshot at the end is exactly the same. They don't trust Peter because he's behind a mask. Now, in the original story. He couldn't cash the check. They wouldn't pay him cash. Right. In this story, the difference is, oh, well, uh, he's wearing a mask, so we think he stole the money. It's the same thing. This is someone else's work dressed up. This is Rob Granito. This is Yikes. someone else's work redone in your own style with your own, you know, little tinges here and there. Oh, but I, you know, that, that Calvin and Hobbes, that's entirely mine. I went to the trouble of flipping it in Photoshop. So when you rebuild something like this, I want to see something new. The closest thing we have to something new here is the moments with Mary Jane. And those yeah. are wonderful. Yeah. That whole, issue I 13. like the, yeah, the issue 13, the moments with Mary Jane are really, really, really good. But there's the, the foundation of the ultimate universe basically comes down to how can we make Spider-Man more awesomer? How can we, you know, how can we position our properties for upcoming movies? And not for nothing does that Spider-Man movie in 2000, whatever, take the origin directly from here, right down to the genetically modified oh, yeah. Oscorp spider biting him. Right. I don't, I don't like that movie cliche of the villain and the hero have, uh, have to have the same origin. It, the only place it ever worked for me was that moment where Jack Nicholson is like, no, you made me. No, you made me. When it's played the way that it's played in a movie where the villain and the hero are intertwined like that, when we get to the point where we subvert the Green Goblin by instead of him throwing Gwen off a bridge, him falling off a bridge himself, mm -hmm. what should have been a really interesting kind of ha-ha meta moment really pissed me off. Wait, so, Really so, pissed me off. Uh, so you're, you're upset that he – that they changed that part? No, he's upset that I'm they just irritated. photocopied the entire I'm irritated that history. They, they've taken Spider-Man. They've taken Spider-Man and his history and, mm -hmm. you know, characters that built up over several decades. And they've gone back and they've decided that they're going to tie them all together into one, you know, big bow. And they're going to deliver that. So let's say, let's say that you take that and the Green Goblin is a part of Spider-Man's origin. That mm -hmm. I can accept. And the Green Goblin and Spider-Man are going to have their big fight, and it's going to have a big blow-off, and it's going to have that movie moment, right? At the end of that, I expect there to be some sort of payoff. At the end of issue six, we don't really know what Osborne's motivations are, if he has any. There's a lot of dialogue where people say that couldn't have been Osborne, which you know kind of dilutes the strength of, of Harry's revelation of, oh my god, that's my dad. Spider-Man has no idea what's happening. There's no motivation for Norman the Goblin to come after Spider-Man because it went in the earlier issues, his motivation seemed to be, will my Oz drug make a superhuman? When the answer is yes, he takes it himself. What's the point of fighting Spider-Man then? Where's, I mean, where's my actual well, okay. expectation of why that happens? So my reading of that is, 
uh, Osborne wants to be as awesome as Peter Parker is, all the strength and all the awesome that, or ultimate, that it, the ultimateness that is Peter Parker, mm-hmm. and he wants that upon himself. When he injects himself with a drug, he essentially flips out, doesn't turn into what he mm-hmm. wanted to turn into at the time, is in the first appearances of the Green Goblin a little bit out of his mind. And so maybe the only mm-hmm. thing that's imprinted now and in his animal mind is Parker, because that's basically yes, all God. he can say. And so that is the that is his focus of attention and why he goes after Peter Parker. And he knows that Spider-Man is Peter Parker. Um, and See, so that's where that that's an that's interesting interpretation. From. Now, That's definitely an interesting interpretation. I don't, I don't find that as a natural progression of what happens in the book. Okay, well, that's that's how I interpreted it. But let me go back to yours. <laughs> I hate that they copied everything that was good before. As I said at the beginning, if you want, I mean, there are no new readers jumping on board Spider-Man because if you jump on board Spider-Man in two thousand, you're jumping right into some middle of some convoluted story that you have to have fifty years of knowledge of what the hell's going on. So if you're trying to attract new readers who don't care for a, a, a college teacher or whatever that Peter Parker was in the uh, in the early 2000s, uh, if you don't if you want to make something that's appropriate for the new audience or the younger generation, you got to set him back in high school. You have to tell that tale again. And if you're going to tell the Spider-Man tale, all of that baggage from the 616 universe is going to have to be influencing that unfortunately and i can see where you know from marvel's point of view why they decide to do that because there are some really awesome spider-man tales Mm -hmm. out there right and so we want to try to recapture those magic of those stories that happened over the course of 50 years and we want to cram them into 157 issues um okay so for me and this is why i really really love ultimate spider-man if it wasn't for ultimate spider-man i would have never picked up a regular Marvel ongoing series. Ultimate Spider-Man, from the minute that I picked up that first trade, I was hooked, and I was buying the individual issues of Ultimate Spider-Man. And then that fed into Ultimate Fantastic Four, Ultimate uh, Avengers, Ultimate this, Ultimate that. And then eventually, hey, let me go check out what's going on in this secret invasion. Hey, you know what? I, 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 I like what's going on. Well, I don't like what's going on after Ultimate Comics. Spider-Man kicked off, but now there's this Dan Slott guy who's writing over in Amazing Spider-Man in the 616 universe, and I know enough about what's going on now because I've read Ultimate Spider-Man that let me go check out what's going on in this regular Spider-Man book, and guess what? Now Marvel, after 10 years or 11 years, has me hooked on the 616 universe. So for me, Ultimate Comics is that gateway drug into the larger Marvel universe of reading stuff. Now, that's Mm -hmm. not necessarily going to work for somebody old like you, Matthew, who's read every issue since they first were published. But for me, or but for newer readers, that is the case. Now, I can understand your argument, and Rodrigo, I want to get your feedback in on this. I can understand and appreciate your argument of, well, all they're doing is just copying someone else's work. You know, all they're doing is taking Stan Lee's stories and repurposing them to tell these old comics. It's Roger well, I mean, Stern and you know, it's, it's everybody. Yeah, it's everybody. They're, they're, they're taking all those stories and they're photocopying them and putting their own Bendis brand on it. Uh, I can kind of I can kind of see that. But also at the same time, 
those stories are owned by Marvel and they can do whatever they want with them. So from a business standpoint, Marvel doesn't really see a problem with that. Rodrigo, do you want to weigh in on any of this? Nah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, honestly, I think that's that's kind of what is great and sad about Ultimate Spider-Man is that I think from the very beginning it was meant to be kind of this limited thing to get, you know, people born from 1985 to 1999. Something like that? Yeah, 99, yeah. Into Spider-Man, you know. And you know what? In that sense, it was kind of a resounding success. Yeah. Unfortunately for people who now... And and it's, it's, it's amazing because... Now people who are into Ultimate Spider-Man and who have no, uh, you know, uh, no real experience with the 616 uh, stories um, are now kind of experiencing their own Spider-Man mm-hmm. meltdown yeah. and, and looking around for other things. So really, it, it, you know, since everything good turns to crap anyway, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're kind of experiencing their own microcosm. Well, and this is the problem with every time you want to reboot a universe is we've now gone 160 issues by mm-hmm. the time that the actual death re- resolution is over. We've gone 160 issues, and now if someone wants to get on board, we're asking them to go back to issue number one and read 160 issues to know what's going on in issue 161. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you have to introduce now the death of Spider-Man, and an all-new Spider-Man sure. is coming after no, the Spider-Man. No, you absolutely do not. And it's no, not I'm necessary not to you... reboot a universe to no, sell I'm a not... book. No, it's I'm not, saying It that... should not be. From the business standpoint, that is the solution. That's why but hey, it's, it's been, not 15, it's been 15 years since this movie's been out. Let's remake this movie. That's a business standpoint. That's a how can it's we, a short term fix. It's writing a hot check money? today to cover the hot check you wrote yesterday in the hopes that it won't clear until payday. Well, I am a I big believer <laughs> in jumping on points. I'm a big believer in making things accessible. I believe right. that I should be able to go and buy my square jawed, smiling, brave and the bold Batman while you go and buy your Frank Miller Batman while Rodrigo goes out and buys his Neil Adams Batman Odyssey. But there should be a differentiation between my Batman, your Batman, and Rodrigo's Batman if we're going to go to the trouble of having multiple Batman. There is no differentiation here between the Marvel Universe and the Ultimate Universe other than they're awesomer. The only character in this entire 13-issue stretch who has a role more than about two inches wide that isn't taken whole cloth from existing Spider-Man issues is Kong the Bully. Right. Everybody else, from the Enforcers to the Kingpin to Harry Osborn to Liz Allen, every single one of these characters is playing pretty much either the same role that they do in the mainstream Marvel Universe, turned up to 11, or the flip-flop Mirror Universe version of themselves. If Ultimate Spider-Man was going to catch me, and, you know, it's not a bad story, it's not a bad bunch of issues, it's not a bunch of issues that I'm interested in after reading them. And it's a bunch of issues that I haven't read in the last 10 years, even though they were well and truly available to me, simply because the whole point of them was Spider-Man may not be selling really well. Let's make them awesome or let's awesome them up. Let's, let's, you know, let's take that nineties fashion and let's write 
let's rewrite Amazing Fantasy number 15 and make it something that is more modern. There's nothing wrong with saying that. Even from a corporate perspective, there's nothing wrong with saying, this will sell better. That's perfectly fine. But when you pass off Amazing Fantasy 15, pad it out to six issues, and the only real difference is that occasionally somebody says, oh, Peter Parker, you're an idiot for trying to sell pictures. You should do your website expertise and you can work at the Daily Bugle. That to me is not, that's not really a difference. That's kind of just, you know, that's a brush stroke on somebody else's existing work. Okay. All and, right. I, I see where you're coming from. So you're, you're not a big fan of Elseworlds series at all. I love the Elseworlds, but the Elseworlds tell stories differently. At least the good ones do. You can't tell me that if even Red Rain, that I'm not a real big fan of, is entirely taken word for word from a story that Bob Kane put together. You can't tell me that, uh, say, Holy Terror, which is a wonderful story, one of the best Elseworlds ever, if not the best worlds, Elseworlds ever, is Bob Kane's work with you know, Kong the Bully thrown in there. It's Batman taken in an entirely different context and an entirely different background. This is not that. And if it were, we would not have seven issues in a big story arc about taking down the Kingpin, a character who has been referenced, name-checked in the first four issues. And we certainly wouldn't have the blow-off to that big Kingpin thing come five issues after his first appearance on panel. If the Kingpin is a new character, then... You know, we need to give that new character time to grow and breathe. Peter Parker taking down the ultimate kingpin is not taking down the ultimate kingpin. And the resolution of the story, if you find satisfaction in it, is not this character getting taken down. It's the 616 kingpin that we know from Daredevil Burn Again, that we know from Amazing Spider-Man number 50, that we know from his hundreds of appearances since the 1970s, that character... That you know since down the 1970s. That you know since the 1970s. If you don't know the Kingpin since the 1970s, this arc doesn't give you anything to work with. It doesn't tell you anything about the Kingpin. Every bit of context that you have about the Kingpin, you have to either know or you have to have looked up because it doesn't tell you. This book says, does not explain right in there. the Kingpin. It says he's the, he's the Kingpin of crime. He is the... He is the mob boss of mob bosses. It says that right in the in the issue. It it says that as Peter Parker is investigating the person who murdered and four his issues uncle. later, this 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 kingpin genius, this man who's been behind crime, is taken down by a sixteen year old kid. No, he's that taken down by his own hubris. That is an anticlimax unless you take into account the fact that the Kingpin stories that I know, that, that no, maybe you, know. you don't know. You know. That I know those Kingpin stories would make issue the climax of issue 12 satisfying. If not, then the arc from issue 7 to issue 12 is completely unsatisfying, does not have a realistic resolution, and doesn't build up the character to be as big as he's supposed to be. Show me. Don't tell me. And if I'm supposed to have context on this character who first appears in Ultimate Spider-Man number seven, give me some context other than, oh, well, I know that this, I know what the Kingpin is like in the Marvel Universe, and there is absolutely nothing in these issues that tells me anything contradictory to that. The beatdown that the Kingpin takes is satisfying 
if you understand what the Kingpin has been about since Amazing Spider-Man number 50. Otherwise, dramatically speaking, from a structural standpoint, this story doesn't work. I, I think that's, I think, to be honest, Matthew, I think that's your, your bias of the 616 leaking in. And that's fine. I mean, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But again, you keep saying everything that we know about the Kingpin from the 1970s on. I've never You're read the Kingpin the wrong from the part 1970s. Of that You're focusing on the wrong part of that sentence. What do you know about the Kingpin from this what, story? What do, what do I know about John Gotti? I know what the newspapers have told me, and I know what the, the reports have told me, and I know what the FBI stories have told me, and I hear these things about John Gotti is the biggest, baddest SOB that you never, ever want to cross in the mob because he'll take you down without even blinking, and he's got people whose arms stretch out to infinity that will reach out and kill you in your sleep, right? That's what we hear okay. about John Gotti. Do I know anything about John Gotti? Personally, no. But if someone said in passing in this universe that we're building, if I pick up the newspaper one day and I see John Gotti, I know, ooh, Kingpin, I know the cr this crime boss. I don't have to know any other context beyond that except what the author is providing in here. Okay? But you're so, making my point for me. No, because then through the investigation... <laughs> you just said that... You, if, if we're talking about John Gotti, you're going from what you know, what you've gleaned, what you've interacted with. Right. That's right. what I'm saying about this issue. Right. They don't tell us what the kingpin is. They show him murder someone. I will grant you that. They show him kill a man on the panel. A man, by the way, who comes from the original run of Stan and Jack comics, Frederick Foswell, the big man, whose uh, war with the kingpin in the original books was about two issues long. I'm saying that this book relies on at least some knowledge of Spider-Man 616 adventures because when you go to that moment where, say, J. Jonah Jameson isn't a screaming lunatic, that moment works. That moment is fun because you expect J. Jonah Jameson to be a screaming lunatic. When the enforcers, when Fancy Dan and the Ox and uh, Montana come into play, and they're actually good at their job. They're effective. They hurt Spider-Man. They work together and they're a dangerous unit. That works because in the mainstream universe, they're kind of lame and have always been lame. So that shock value of, oh, wait, these enforcers aren't stupid sells this book or at least sells that interaction in this book. Were you, were you I'm not aware saying of those this characters is a bad before, I have never Steven. heard of those characters before. Yeah, uh, honestly, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of with Steven on this one, Matthew. I think that you are getting a lot more information out of this because you are more familiar with. Obviously, I, I yeah. mean, I'm familiar with other Spider-Man versus Kingpin and Daredevil versus Kingpin stories that Steven might not be familiar with. Well, um, I, I didn't even know who Patsy Walker was. Right. So the first time that I read this book uh, ten years ago. That's just like, oh, hi, I'm Patsy Walker. Welcome to the B dot do dot two dot hypercam. Right. Now, fifteen years later, there are, when I know who Patsy Walker is, I read that I'm like, haha, see what they did there. There are there are little shout outs, there are little bombs in there, but those bombs are there for guys like Matthew. Um, I you know I everything that you need to know about the Kingpin of Crime comes from a flowchart. That mm -hmm. Parker finds, yeah, 
um, you know, while he's do you know, trolling the uh, Daily Bugle archives. Right. That is all you need to know about the Kingpin. The Kingpin is everywhere, and you know he he'll bust you up for getting all up in and his one sixteen-year-old takes him down in four issues. No. Spider-Man takes him down in four issues. And it's not even Spider-Man <laughs> that takes him down. It is the Kingpin takes the Kingpin down because the Kingpin videotapes everything that happens in his office. Peter Parker and Spider-Man both screw up royally I, I read the when they issues. go into the Kingpin. I, I read the issue. You know, he gets he gets beat up by Fisk. Fisk takes his, his mask and it's captured on tape. Well, that that's kind of a big problem for Spider-Man if he's trying to hide his identity. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. But then to be able to say, ha-ha, I know, because I was in the office, a place where very few people have been who are on the good side of the law, I know he's recording everything. And because I sat in history class and learned about Nixon, ha-ha-ha, way to interject (laughs) that Bendis, we get that plot point of, let's go capture the discs and release the discs, and Fisk brings himself down. I don't need to know anything about Wilson Fisk. I don't need to know anything about the Daredevil. I don't need to know anything except I know he's the kingpin of crime in New York. But that's not the point of what I'm saying. You're focusing on the wrong half of what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that you have to know who the kingpin is to understand these stories. I'm saying that these stories are predicated on the fact that the kingpin already exists, that somebody else created the kingpin, that somebody else did well, all these stories and with the kingpin, and now we're just taking kingpin down. That's what I said earlier about, yeah, of course the Kingpin exists. That's why this is an ultimate version of this universe. This is a different take or a near different take or it's, their their view but it's not different. On, on this universe. Even if they're young guys in it, even if they're hipsterizing it, even if they're putting in, you know, uh, uh, what's the dog's name from The Simpsons? Poochie. Uh, uh, Poochie the dog. Even if they throw Poochie in here in this scene – they're optimizing this universe, and they're telling these stories again for readers who don't know this stuff. Okay, but they're not different. It doesn't matter. That's my. Well, it does they matter. Di- they they are different because you don't need to read three hundred issues of Spider Man to know who Betty Brant is. Right. You don't need to read you the the relationship between Spider Man. Between Peter, you know, the love triangle between Spider-Man, uh, Flash Thompson, and Peter Parker, uh, and Peter Parker, is there for you. You don't need to wait four issues in between things for you know a writer to be like, "Oh crap, I haven't had Flash Thompson in you know three issues or whatever. I right. should I should bring that back in, or you know, wait you know ten years for Flash Thompson to even be a character again. Mm-hmm. You know, that is all there. That is it. it this is. This is 30 years of Spider-Man in pill form. Which is... And, and that is absolutely 100% what they're going for. It right. is effective in that sense. Yeah. It takes all of that stuff. It takes out all the stuff that, granted, a small group of people felt new readers would not get about Spider-Man or would not like about Spider-Man. And it just throws all that stuff by the wayside. It takes a bunch of core stuff about Spider-Man, keeps it exactly the same, adds a few belts and whistles changes some drastic stuff sometimes for the best sometimes not for the best Mm -hmm. but in the end you end up with this spider-man redux you end up with basically not ultimate spider-man but essential spider-man right 
Right, without having to go out and buy Essential Spider-Man, which is in black and white and doesn't feature awesome Mark Bagley <laughs> art. Now, Matthew, here's, here's the thing that I have a question for you. So, uh, Rodrigo just said, especially in these first 13 issues, we're essentially compressing about oh, 30 years of Spider-Man history down into one <laughs> volume, right? But at the same time, one of the biggest complaints that people have had and that you've already also mentioned is uh, Brian Bendis's decompression storytelling mm-hmm. techniques. Is that a huge problem here mm-hmm. in these in these books in in this issue? I mean, you already mentioned with the uh, the wrestling bit. Structurally no, actually. I I you know, as far as the structure of the story goes, it actually worked to its advantage because pretty much everybody knows at least part of Spider-Man's origin and you know where it's going when you get into issue one, you know, Ben is going to die. And the fact that Ben doesn't die until four issues into a six issue arc works to the story's advantage. Mm-hmm. You get to the point where you're like, wow, uncle Ben is still alive and Spider-Man is active. And Oh wait, we're still in panel, you know, panel five of page three. If we were thinking of that original story. So, you know, that works for me. I like, the, you know, the adjustment of the, the Uncle Ben to a hippie. I like the way that, you know, he's broken bits of it down. And the dialogue, the snappy dialogue and the character interaction are what made this book sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the, the, the whole, going back to Fisk, when Peter comes up the second time and it's just like, oh, uh, you're here. I've prepared some thoughts. If you ever cut yourself shaving, Marshmallow Fluff would come out. And just these witty dialogue and the jokey mm-hmm. jokiness that maybe is a little bit over the top. <laughs> I thought I'm sitting there laughing at it when I was reading it going, this is, this is funny. I forgot that this stuff was in here. Yeah. Uh, and so I enjoy that uh, a heck of a lot. I, I enjoy the, the exchange. And I think, I, I think in the end and, and weirdly, I think the, the, the stuff that irks Matthew is, is also what makes, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man effective where pretty much none of the other Ultimate books were mm-hmm. in that it is written as Spider-Man and it has that that huge weight off the shoulders of whoever's writing it, which is mostly Bendis, mm-hmm. um, to say not only can you have Spider-Man do his Spider-Man thing, you can have him do all the stuff that he's already done and you can pick and choose what stuff that he's already done you want in there and what stuff he's already done that you don't want in there it's like spider-man cliff's notes you know you kind of get everything that is basic about spider-man it definitely in these 12 issues in a way that a younger audience can pick it up and right and and, and, and that is important the important thing is that if you hand a kid a huge volume of spider-man comics they might they might think that's great. Right. Or they might be daunted by it. Of course, if you hand somebody that Ultimate Spider-Man omnibus... Yeah, I've got the omnibus here, the, the first uh, collected you know, omnibus. That they would probably also be daunted and probably not even be right. able to lift it. Right. Um, but, you know, if you give them a single trade paperback of Amazing Spider-Man, that is... A, the, it is everything you wanted to know about Spider-Man, but we're uh, afraid to ask your abrasive comic store clerk. Mm-hmm. Um... And I'm puzzled by something. By okay. what? You have both repeatedly said you can read this without having read 500 issues of Spider-Man. Sure you can. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you pick up a book, do you actually try to go out and get all the original 500 issues? Matthew, Is that I've something said it before. that people do? What a, I said earlier, 
I would never read a Marvel book because I knew from the Batman experience that it's incredibly hard to get into a new character and understand who are all the villains, who are all the players. And especially with Marvel books where it's a lot of it is relationship-based, it's so hard to figure out, well, who is this? It's like jumping Character in. Character development, bah! I know. It's it's almost like jumping into, and unfortunately, you know, soap operas have almost been vanished off the planet mm. in this last week. They're but dying it's like breed. jumping into uh, the 20th year of As the World Turns and knowing instantly who all the people are and who's sleeping with who and who it's not. And it's, a, it's tough to get into something like uh, a soap opera, or it's tough to get into uh, the 616 Spider-Man without having some context of what's going on. So, yes, when I said earlier, I picked up Ultimate Spider-Man because it's like, you know what, I kind of would think I would like to really know what's going on with Spider-Man, or at least this interpretation of Spider-Man. Let me read it, and I liked it. It touched on a lot of the things that I tangentially know about because of, you know, Spider-Man's going to intersect with somebody's universe at some point when you read comics. Mm. So, even though I don't have to go onto the wiki and find out, well, who is the kingpin? Oh, 1970. Oh, well, that makes sense. Oh, look, I don't have to worry about all that. I can sit down and I can enjoy the story. And now, as I've said, 150-some issues later, when the Ultimate Universe is not looking so fresh anymore, I suddenly discover a jumping-on point with Dan Slott's Amazing Spider-Man that, guess what? I know the characters. Even if they've been tweaked or just if this is a redux or if this is a photocopy from Ultimate Spider-Man... I can get into the 616 universe and I can read that. And even though I may not know everything that's different, what are these, there are enough what are these similarities. bulky bracelets that Spider-Man wears? Yes. Uh, there are enough similarities that I can say, okay, now I can understand and appreciate this. And now let me explore the rest of the wonderful Marvel universe. Ultimate, Ultimate Comics is supposed to be that gateway drug. And I think for many people, for Spider-Man especially, it was that gateway drug. It was, yes. Because I mentioned earlier in the show, yeah. Ultimatum. Adam, drop the F-bomb here, and fucked up Ultimate Comics to the point of no return. And, and really, that is, that is again, what's, what's, what's so, I don't know, what is, what is so raven about Ultimate Spider-Man <laughs> is the fact that it is an artifact of, you know, the year... The year 2000. <laughs> and, you know, it has, in fact, because it's so cool and edgy and jawsome, mm-hmm. it has already kind of weirdly dated itself. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's just going to ultimate Spider-Man as the, as the world turns, just to, to bring it back to soap operas, and as the universe continues to move forward and time marches on, will detach itself from Spider-Man continuity and float away into mm-hmm. oblivion mm-hmm. as new readers are brought in through, uh, you know, the new the Spider-Man. Radical Spider-Man. Yes. Spider-Man 2099. Yes. God, no. That that <laughs> sucked. That was so bad. Oh, wait, no. Not 2099. Uh, Spider-Man Unlimited was yeah, so yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Spider-Man 2099. Yeah, 2099 was, wasn't half bad. Yeah. Spider-Man 2099. Again, another another good example of how Spider-Man, the Spider-Man uh, of that... Actually, that tends to happen. Is like Spider Girl was pretty much the only good thing out of M two or whatever. Mm-hmm. Spider Man two thousand ninety nine was pretty much the only good thing out of two thousand ninety nine, and Spider Man was the, about the only good thing out of the uh, Ultimate Universe, yeah. or at least the only consistently good thing, right? So, but yeah, uh, I mean, we will like. That's the thing is like pretty soon we're not going to be talking about Ultimate Spider Man anymore. No, we're not. And and seriously, I I honestly thought if you would have asked me two months ago. 
if they were going to wrap up Ultimate Universe with the death of Spider-Man, I honestly would have thought, yes, this is it. 160 is the final issue. No more Ultimate Comics. Mm -hmm. But, of course... As we've all learned, death in comics is not permanent. And right. I heard an interview with Binda saying that he had everything scripted out to 190 issues already. So yeah. uh, we knew that that wasn't going away. Uh, should ultimate, should the ultimate universe fold up and just that's a nice chapter of what we were doing? It certainly doesn't sell like it used to. Mm -hmm. Should it fold up and just go away, Rodrigo? Uh, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in in packing up shop while you're on top. Yeah. Um. Of course, that pretty much <laughs> that was never... four and a half years ago. Yeah, you're right. You're <laughs> sure, absolutely sure. right. You're absolutely and, right. And and it's it's kind of a. I mean, it's you know, selling comics, selling anything, any product, especially entertainment, is is a game. It's a big strategy mm -hmm. game. And you're you're just sitting there, and you're like, oh, if I put a little bit more resources into this, can I get it back up? Mm -hmm. You know, is it if I if I close up shop now, can I cut my losses and just call it good? And I think it tends to be a thing of, you know, um, it, it's kind of weirdly what happened, you know, what screwed over Conan O'Brien mm -hmm. is, well, Jay Leno's leaving. Mm -hmm. Well, let's everybody watch Jay Leno's last few shows. So the rate, his ratings go through the roof. Right. And it's like, oh, well, now let's keep him. It's like, well, I bet you that his the Tonight Show does not have the same ratings now that it did during that yeah, period. And it's month, just yeah. because of that weird thing. You know, it's like the same thing probably happened to Spider-Man. As soon as they started buzzing that Spider-Man was going to die, mm -hmm. readership picks back up. Well, same thing with Fantastic Four. Johnny mm -hmm. Storm's going to die. Boom, 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 boom. That is a little different, though, because I think that that was always kind of a, a planned death and, right, and right, resurrection. Right, right, right. I, I get the sense that with Spider-Man, they probably did seriously consider just wrapping it up. I, I would imagine. I mean, I I would have I would have just but that is all speculation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matthew, should the Ultimate Universe go away? <sighs> have you? I mean, see the problem okay, with the Ultimate. Let me ask you. This. There never let should have been this. an Ultimate Universe, if you ask me. Okay. If you're going to sure. do something like this, mm -hmm. if you're going to do say Ultimate X Men and you're going to revamp the X Men, mm -hmm. don't do it in a shared continuity that forces you to merge it with Ultimate Spider Man or Ultimate right. Avengers. Right. I feel like if we're going to treat these as the jumping on points that allow you a a relatively continuity pain-free way to get into the book, as I freely admit, these first 13 highly influenced by someone else's work issues are, I think that you need to keep that separate. And that's where the Ultimate Universe disappeared up its own ass was mm -hmm. it turned into we have to make sure that Ultimate X-Men and Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate Fantastic Four and all these books fit together. Yeah, and you really up, don't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't well, want to do that. And there's also a problem in that you can't, you cannot create a character based on what he ain't. So I think that the Ultimate Universe fell apart in that many of the characters we were given is, well, he ain't your father's Nightcrawler. Right, well, okay, right. what is he? Right, right, we don't definitely. know what he is. You know, here's here's Pyro as an X Man. Well, why is that interesting? Pyro is not really all that phenomenal a character, aside from the fact that you know he's a pyrokinetic who isn't immune to flames. Right. We made that, him an that. X Man. Why is that interesting? Because the regular continuity Pyro is a villain. Oh, right. okay. That, that I think the most interesting thing Pyro ever did was die from the legacy virus. You know, Ultimate Spider-Man <laughs> really, for me, lost a lot of its luster about the time that the um, Gwen Stacy Carnage arc finished. Mm -hmm. the and about, the, about that, 
Yeah, once they started going into the clone saga, and then I started seeing, okay, now this really is just let's rehash the the old stories, and now we're right. we're very quickly catching up to to current to the stuff, current stuff. So we can get to that, which yeah. was why I said my disappointment in what looked like in this new Avengers versus New Ultimates thing right. is basically it looks like Civil War. Well, and that's and the point where I, yes, let's shut up the Ultimate Universe. Honestly, I mean Matthew Matthew is 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 very. Sen- and I don't mean like he's so sensitive. I mean he's very sensitive to this, right? right. Because uh, these these are stories that that he greatly cherishes. For the rest of us, the fact that they're doing quote unquote old stuff mm-hmm. is fine. We don't care, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but once they start getting to more modern stuff, we start experiencing what Matthew's feeling. We're right. like, well, I I've already read this story mm-hmm. last month. Mm-hmm. You know, like why are the Avengers versus New Ultimates versus Squadron Supreme versus Alternate Reality Squadron Supreme telling the same story right. that Civil War just told me? Right. Which is the interesting thing about Ultimatum because literally they were sw- they were washing the slate mm-hmm. in in Ultimatum. So that, and when they did, they came back as ultimate, and I, I make a lot of fun with this, comics, Spider-Man. Yeah. Because this is your great jumping on point where you can meet Spider-Man after the carnage <laughs> and him rediscovering himself as Spider-Man, yeah. which just doesn't work. And, and you know what? It's, it's, Matthew alluded to it, that you can't have necessarily um, you know, ultimate Spider-Man and ultimate X-Men as this story, you, you know, that kind of retrospective, what they should have been from the beginning right, anyway right, kind right. of thing. Because... They wouldn't fit in the same universe, mm-hmm. you know. The X Men right. would grow the into something thing. different. Mm-hmm. So, really, what you needed to do is either have separate books where there are only mutants or only superheroes, or you know, or only Spider Man and his rogues gallery, right? Um, and uh, or basically do the Astro City thing and tell wide scope, you know, the Marvel universe from the beginning. Here's the inception of the Marvel Universe, and now weird things are going to happen, mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to do both and thoroughly forcing them with a giant event at the end, mm-hmm. in which Nick Fury is Wolverine or something. Uh, best issue in this entire volume is still the the, the final 13. one, with Mary Jane and yeah. Peter, where he comes out to her, and you can tell that they are so in love with one another, and they're so wanting to let their hormones rage... And then Aunt May comes in and cock blocks him. <laughs> yeah. Are you kids getting it on upstairs? You well, do you know about the condom? At least I hope you're being safe. <laughs> <laughs> but it is so sweet and it is so nice. And really, to be honest, to wrap up for me, this first volume, the 13 issues, is in my mind just wonderful. Mm. I, I think if you've never really read Spider-Man, if you maybe picked up an issue here and there, I think you'll really like it. If you've seen the Spider-Man movie, uh, guess what? You've already read the first 13 yeah, you, issues you of this book to be, you know, that's the that's the, the down part. A- except that's, I think that, that right there is another thing where they like, they looked at Ultimate Spider-Man and they were like, yeah, Hulk Goblin is stupid. Let's go to Old Goblin and, right, and, right, right. and just make sure he has lots of spiky things. Well, and I forget where it takes place. I can't remember if it is after starting an issue 14 or whatever. But they actually, and it, it had to have been after the first Spider-Man movie, um, they actually write in uh, Avi Arad mm-hmm. as a character into the Ultimate Universe because really? they are because they are doing they're they're making their own Spider-Man movie. Weird. And this is where I think that's the arc where Doc Ock is introduced. 
and that's when it gets a little weird. I and think then you're quickly, right. Yeah. Then they quickly swerved away from that, uh-huh. and then that's when they they introduced the uh, um, Gwen Stacy um, Carnage Clone Wars line uh-huh. and it was and that was fun but yeah for that weird time for about a year it was this is all very meta weird yeah. kind of stuff but those these first 13 issues if you've never read spider-man if you're looking for a jumping on point to at least get the story and the feel for what the heart of spider-man yeah. this is a good this is a good point to get uh, on the uh, art by art bagley uh, mark bagley is wonderful i like the snappy dialogue by bendis even though he does tend to get a little wordy and gabby mm-hmm. at times i think it still works i would say uh, pick it up if you love if you want to love Spider Man. Uh, check it out from your library because I'm going to bet that they have it there. I th- I think personally I think that this first arc is great. I mean, there's it's it is everything you wanted to know about Spider Man, just pretty much brought to you in a platter. Um, and it is great for getting new readers into Spider Man, which is what they wanted to do. F- future arcs start getting into the same problem as like, well. Yeah, the you know Craven the Hunter being a reality show guy mm-hmm. is a good idea, mm-hmm. but is it really what I want out of my Craven the Hunter? Maybe yes, maybe not. And then we start getting into progressively grayer areas as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. But definitely these first what thirteen issues, thirteen issues, fantastic. I would say if you if you love somebody and they <laughs> free, don't free. And they don't know. Set. And they don't, and they haven't accepted Spider-Man as their personal Lord and Savior. <laughs> then you need to introduce them to Ultimate Spider-Man. The, wow, the first volume. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Matthew, wrap it up for oh, us. Oh, we're all going to hell for that joke. Aside from my mostly moral uh, reprehension of it, this is a good arc. And if I take these 13 issues and if I say this is a Spider-Man miniseries that I wanted to read, they're good. Mark Bagley does really good work with the art. Even when his faces get wonky, his faces are wonky in a cool way. And and his faces do. His Mary Jane. Yeah, his Mary Jane, even when she has goofy expressions and her eyes are different shape, his Mary Jane is an adorable 16-year-old girl, which is nice. It's not like, you know, a hyper-sexy J. Scott Campbell 16-year-old girl. It's an adorable 16-year-old girl. And you can see why Peter loves her, because there are times where you're just like, aww, and you kind of love her a little bit yourself. This is a good Spider-Man story, and I promised myself that I wasn't going to be this guy, and previously I referenced it. This is a great Spider-Man story, and as my friend Dusty is wont to say, I loved it the first time I read it, and this time I love it even more. So, aside from my problems with the Ultimate Universe as a whole, this is a... It's a good few issues. There are some problems with it. I still feel like the resolution of both the villain fights is incredibly mm-hmm. non-productive and anticlimactic. And the fact that both villain fights end the same way with a non-conflict and just sort of a <laughs> in your face is indicative of the fact that, you know, I think Bendis is more of a character-based writer than a plotting writer. And and, and most and, of the time, he'll... Yeah. Yeah, and, and I will say... It- the weakest link is is the supervillain mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in this in this piece, yeah. Which you really, I, I really don't care about that. No, I mean, I no, could just and, read, and, I could read pages it, of dialogue it, between it Peter talks, and Mary Jane. Yeah, it goes to the strengths of the character building in the book, but it is unfortunate because you know what? It's a superhero book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He should write uh, Mary Jane loves Spider Man. Yeah, Mary Jane loves Spider Man. That would be awesome. Yeah, Matthew, pick it up, buy it, avoid it. What's the deal? I'd say pick it up, but you know, be aware. 
of the fact that there are people like me who have a real problem with the fact that the ultimate universe exists and that this started essentially as a money grab. Sure. And it turned into an entire universe of money grabs. And I don't begrudge Marvel or Jameis or Quesada or Bendis for wanting to make money off of Spider-Man. And I don't begrudge them for saying, let's retell these stories and make them more awesomer. But give me something new. Give me something that isn't directly out of Stan and Steve's work. And I will stand behind you. And I feel like, you know, the change to the goblin as obnoxious and mid nineties. Hey, I'm going to go fight sleepwalker now as he is. It's at least not the same green goblin that we've seen a million times. Unfortunately, his origin is all tied into the heroes. I would say go ahead and, you know, definitely read it. And if you love it, you can buy more of it. And eventually you'll stop loving it because there's a point around trade paperback number seven where it, as I say, disappears right up its own ass. Yeah, just buy Ultimate Spider-Man Collection Omnibus thing, the Barnes & Noble. Oh, I'm sorry, Barnes & Noble. It's going to be a little difficult to find that edition. I, I will say one thing, and, and and Matthew talked about it, that this book sometimes feels so mid-90s, mm-hmm. but it came out after the late 90s, yeah, like yeah. in the it, late it, 90s. It literally came out in 2000. Right. So, you know, the word Ultimate was already something that hipsters used ironically to refer to things not at all being ultimate yeah. by the time this book came out. I could just see everybody at Marvel when that first issue took off like a rocket going, the plan for domination is complete. Soon we'll be brought up by Disney and we will own everything. All right, everybody, look at the crap in time. We have gone way too long. I have thoroughly enjoyed this discussion, the back and forth between Matthew. Uh, Matthew, I enjoyed it so much, the discussion. Rodrigo, thank you for uh, providing your input into the show. Thank you, listeners, for putting up with our discussion this week. Hopefully you enjoyed it, and hopefully you will uh, consider dropping a little tip in that tip jar. Uh, Next week, we are going to be talking about Jack Kirby's Fourth World, Volume 1. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at MySpace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well, I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew They kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven 
just like a man of iron Might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun being in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah Major Spoiler. This has been a Major Spoilers podcast. Copyright 2011. Goodbye. See you on the next show.